All right, we're continuing our series, 2020 Vision. Anybody need some vision in their lives? The Bible says, without vision, the people perish, right? We need a North Star. We need, uh, we need a, a clear destination. We need a clear uh, direction in our lives. Without vision, we, we just get tossed around by whichever way the wind's blowing, right? Last week, we talked about vision, how vision is a picture of the future that produces purpose. Vision is a picture of the future that produces purpose and passion. We all need uh, a vision of a future, not only as a church, but we also need it as individuals, as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as friends. We need a clear vision of the future, something to work towards. So last week we talked about being Jesus-centered. Everybody say Jesus-centered. Jesus-centered. John shared a story earlier about how Jesus is the center of his life, and he's just seeing God use him in some extraordinary ways, and just so proud of John and his obedience to the Lord. Just amazing. One of many stories here at Spring Branch. Jesus-centered. When we're Jesus-centered, we will be people-focused. That's what we're talking about today, people-focused. Everybody say (laughs) people-focused. Say that 10 times fast. People-focused, people-focused. Uh, last week, we talked about a couple questions. Who am I and where am I going? Those are some of the two most basic, fundamental questions in life. Who am I and where am I going? We need some, some vision. And what is our true identity? And the answer to the, both of those questions really arises out of these two questions. Who is Jesus and why did he come? Who is Jesus and why did he come? After we answer those questions, we can really know who we are and why we're here, and then God will give us a clear vision for our future. And we learned last week that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, right? He was the firstborn of all creation. In the beginning was the Word. He was there in the beginning, and he created the world. He created you and I. He is the Word. He is everything, and he is in us, and he changes everything. And the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we become like him. And here's the question I want to ask this morning. Do we love what Jesus loves and care about what he cares about? Do we love what Jesus loves, and do we care about what he cares about? It's one thing to say, yes, Jesus, you're my top priority, and I'm going to seek you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're number one in my life. But do we live our lives accordingly? Do we love what he loves and care about what he cares about? I didn't know that I would care so much about the Packers. But I do, don't you know? Gosh, yeah. And I enjoy frozen custard. Didn't know that I would enjoy that. Uh, I, I didn't know that I would enjoy sitting on the carpet in my daughter's room and playing Little People's. Little peoples. Any dads in the house? Maybe you've got small kids, medium-sized kids, big kids. Uh, But at some point, you found yourself down on the level of your kids making all kinds of crazy high-pitched voices. Uh, I fluctuate in between Kermit the Frog. Hello, Kermit the Frog. All right. Or Elmo, Elmo. Kids love it. Uh, But if if you walked into my house, you, you, you might find me on the ground with my kids, making all kinds of crazy voices. Why? Because I love them, and I care about them. 
And when you love about, when you love someone and care about them so much, you start loving what they love. You start caring about what they care about, right? In the same way, when we love God, when we love God, we will start being consumed with what God is consumed with, right? We'll start loving what he loves and care about what he cares about. When Jesus walked this earth, he loved people. He was focused on people. He wasn't too busy for people. He had a lot of important things to do. He was going from point A to point B. He was saving souls and healing people. And, but man, he was never too busy for people. He spent a lot of time with his heavenly father. He was heavenly minded. At the same time, he was, he was focused on loving people. You know, there's a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes that says, some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. <laughs> wow. Some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. Man, we love to come to church and hear a message and read our Bible and pray and go to faith and life class and small group and those are awesome and great things that you should do. But we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we forget to just love people. Forgive people, be patient with people. Have compassion for people. You see, when we are Jesus-centered, we'll be people-focused. If Jesus loved people, maybe we should too. I mean, how many of us would admit, Heath, I admit that I, I need a greater love and a greater care for people. The Bible says, be slow to anger, be quick to listen, slow to judge. Any perfect people in the house today? couple of you, I saw you raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No perfect people here, right? Church is a hospital full of sick people. And I'm the worst of them all, right? I'm the sickest of them all. Just because I'm standing up here doesn't mean I have it all together. We are imperfect, sinful people who fall short of the glory of God. And we can always love people a little bit better. We can always care more about people. We can be slower to anger, slower to judge, quicker to listen, quicker to go out of our way to love people. A lot of good people in here. In order for us to have a greater love for people, a greater care for people, it all starts with being centered around Jesus and being heavenly-minded, God-minded, others-minded. We are Jesus-centered, we'll be people-focused. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, and he says this, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In the original Greek language here, there aren't any verbs. It basically says, for to me, to live, Christ. To die, gain. It's pretty much saying that my life, summed up in one word, is, everybody with me, together, Jesus. Right? Sunday school answer that's always correct. Jesus, his life is saturated and permeated 
with the presence of Jesus. He is devoting his whole life to proclaiming the life-changing message of Jesus, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he came to this earth not to condemn us or kick us to the curb or shame us or make us feel guilty because of our sins, but he came to us into our mess and our trenches. Why? Because he loved us, ultimately laying down his life for us on the cross. Paul is devoting his entire life 24-7 around the clock to Jesus. The linchpin, the cornerstone of his life was Jesus. For to live, Christ. To die, gain. It's the ultimate win-win situation, right? If I die, hey, that's gain. I get to go to heaven and, and just spend forever and eternity with Jesus. I'd say that's pretty good. The Bible says better is one day in the courts of heaven than a thousand days here on earth. I mean, think about your best day, right? A thousand of those. One day in heaven is better. Hard to imagine, isn't it? That we'll be in heaven with Jesus forever when we receive the gift of eternal life. And Paul is devoting his whole life to proclaiming that good news. For to me, to live, Christ, it's my life. It's who I am. It's my vision. To die, gain. If I die, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I'd say it's a pretty good deal. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. We labor, don't we? We work. We got to do this adult thing every week. <laughs> Go to work and make some money and, you know, it's not always fun or comfortable. What if you saw it as your mission field? What if you saw it as your mission field, a, a way to influence others and impact others and make each other better. Your mission field is your work. I would transform everything. Is your, label, is your labor fruitful? Did a series this past summer on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You can tell a tree is good by its fruit. What kind of tree? What kind of life are you living? What's your tree look like? Is there evidence of God in your life? Are you bearing fruit in your life? Is it just, I believe, I believe, I believe, so heavenly minded, but you're no earthly good? Are you bearing fruit? Is your labor fruitful? Hey, while you're here, you got some work to do, right? While God has you here on earth, you got some work to do, fruitful labor. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, Paul says. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. You're probably wondering why there's a ladder up here. Paul is heavenly minded, he's God minded. He's spending time in prayer, he's reading his Bible, he's going to faith and life classes, he's in a small group. He is this increasing in his knowledge of God, and he's praying, and he's God minded, and he's He's just, oh man, Jesus, I can't wait to be with you. No pain. No discomfort. I get to be in your presence forever. That's gonna be amazing. He's heavenly minded, yet he feels this tension. He's looking upward, but then he looks downward and he sees all these people like sheep without a shepherd who are lost and hurting and confused. People who don't know Jesus. For one reason or another, they've been given God the stiff arm because of their pride, because they're too busy. But he's like, God, 
you still got me here, and so I need to focus on people because these people, they, they don't know you. I mean, it's honestly best for me to, to go to heaven. I mean, I, I, I want to be with you, God. I'm looking upward. But you've still got me here. I've still got a pulse. I can still fog up a mirror. I've got a heartbeat. So while you have me here on earth, God, I want to be faithful. I want to be committed to making you known with my life, to living in such a way to put you on display with my life. So he feels this tension. He's hard-pressed. He feels torn. There's perplexity here because he sees the importance of being heavenly-minded and living in view of eternity, and we all should feel this tension. God, I long to be with you. I long to be in your presence forever. Yet, yet while I'm here, Yet while I'm here, God, give me the strength to love people, to show them who you are with my life. He's not looking to escape reality. I mean, we all can admit, man, that there's some difficulties, some challenges in life, and we could just escape those and just go to heaven, that'd be great. No, he's, he's, experienced, he's experienced something real, more real than earthly life, than worldly life, and that is the presence of God, and he wants to experience more of that. But he hears from the Lord, Paul, while you're here, be faithful to me. You've got a great work to love others. You know, my 90, my soon-to-be 95-year-old grandma, she turns 95 this week, amazing woman of God. She lives in Indiana by herself, just a dear, dear woman. I think she's shrunk a couple feet uh, over the last few years. She's beautiful, inside and out, but my wife and our kids, we have a chance to visit her on the way up to Wisconsin or on the way back a couple times a year. It's a little out of the way, but it's always worth it. There was one year where we didn't, didn't know if she was home. She wouldn't answer her phone, and only one other place she could be, Walmart. Walmart. So I went to Wally's World, the middle of Indiana, and we walked in the door, and we looked to the right, looked to our left, and we see her off in the distance driving one of those carts, you know? She's like taking the corner on one wheel, two wheels, we had a hard time keeping up with her. We finally tracked her down the chips aisle and spent about a half hour there just catching up and sharing memories. And one thing she always does before we leave, she just, she looks up at me like this. And she puts her hands on my face and just says something like, Heath, I love you. I'm praying for you and your family every day. Wow, right? There's something about being with my grandma. Get a little taste of heaven. And it seems like the older she gets, the, the more heavenly-minded, the more God-minded she is. And I just want to hang out with her because I feel more like Jesus when I'm with her. And she just has this sense of urgency. In that moment, she sees that it's all about relationships. It's all about people. And she's not so heavenly-minded that she just forgets to just be with you in the moment and just love you and make you feel like you're the most important person on the face of the earth. She inspires me. Do we live like that? Are we so busy? Are we so much in a hurry that we breeze right past people because we're trying to perform, we're trying to achieve, we're trying to succeed, we're trying to be better than that person, better than this person? We look at social media and everybody's posting their highlight reel, right? And we're comparing our worst, everybody's best. We have this sense of insecurity. We've got to keep up, keep up, keep up. 
We're always in a hurry. Guys, slow down and be fully present with people. It's all about relationships. It's not so much what you leave for people, because you can't take it with you to heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven. It's not what you leave for people, it's what you leave in people, your legacy, how you made them feel. Did you love them? Did you serve them? Paul was devoted to people, to relationships, even though he was very heavenly minded. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's like, if it was up to me, no offense, I would go to heaven at a snap of the fingers. Because I can't wait. But he's like, while I'm here, it's better for you that I remain. More necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For some reason, even though he was behind bars, he had this confidence that he would be able to see his friends in Philippi again. I love that faith. I just want to encourage you, whatever circumstances you find yourself in right now, relationally, financially, even though it seems impossible, don't allow your circumstances to control you. Trust in the unchanging character of God. He is stronger than any circumstance, any barrier in your life. And Paul had this incredible faith in God that God was gonna deliver him and rescue him and help him to be able to see his friends again, despite his circumstances. He was convinced that he was gonna remain for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. The best investment that you can make is in people. The best investment you can make is in people. I had this pastor growing up named Chuck, and he would shake my hand after every service. And it was one of those old school Presbyterian churches where the pastor would walk down the aisle, at the end of his message, he would shake everybody's hand. Everybody would say, great message, changed my life, you know, which I would invite that after every message that I preached. It's just <laughs> amazing message, changed my life. Um, no, but yes, that'd be great. Um, but he believed in me. I was this rambunctious, rebellious kid that was only there for the girls. I'd play tic-tac-toe, I'd sneak out to play ping pong. But he saw something in me, he saw potential in me. And he would shake my hand and say, Heath, let's get you up there someday. Whew, I just got shivers just saying that again. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Chuck's investment in me. He was busy. He was heavenly minded, the most heavenly minded man I've ever met. But he wasn't too heavenly minded that he forgot about people. He saw potential in me. He invested in me. He planted some vision in me. And throughout seminary, he would send checks to Lindsay and I, little sticky notes that would say, hey, you know, we were there once, we pinched pennies once, and you know, we, we believe in you guys, praying for you guys. Who are you investing in? Who are you imparting your wisdom into in life? Now, I love meeting with couples, preparing for marriage, and one of the things I ask them is, what's the point of marriage? What's the, what's the meaning of all this? And, you know, more often than not, they'll say, well, she makes me happy. He makes me happy. Well, that's a byproduct. I mean, Lindsay makes me happy. I hope I make her happy. But that's not the point of marriage. The point of marriage is to make each other holy. I know it's a churchy word, but in other words, to make the other person more like Jesus. 
the most wonderful, incredible person who ever walked the face of this earth. The point of marriage, the point of relationship, if you're not married, even it applies to make that person more and more like Jesus. To help them progress in their faith, to have more joy. And that's my job up here as your pastor, to help you progress in your faith, to have more joy in your life. Paul concludes in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Wow. What if people saw your life and they gave glory to God? What if people saw your story and they gave God a glory? Just like John Marsh. I mean, I called him the other day. I was like, John, hey, can you share your, share your faith? And it was totally out of the blue. And he's like, hey, this is not something I want to do. Not something I feel comfortable doing, but, you know, I'm going to pray about it. And there he was up in front of hundreds of people sharing his faith. And his story can give God glory. Your story can give God glory. When people see the way that you treat others and love others and are patient with others and give your money generously to those in need, do they give God glory? Is there cause to give God glory? A couple weeks ago, I had a privilege of conducting a graveside funeral and I went to this massive cemetery in Norfolk called Forest Lawn. I've never, never been there before. But just miles and miles and miles of gravestones. I was in awe. But there was this amazing woman who we were honoring that day. Her name was Merle. And as I sat down with her family to discuss uh, her life, this is one thing they said. They said she loved people. She just loved people. In fact, the older she became, the more she just loved people and loved the Lord. See, those two things go hand in hand, right? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God, love people. They're joined at the hip. They're one and the same. Love God, love people. And this woman, Merle, spent her life loving people. She had the ability to look in your eyes and make you feel like you're the most important person on earth. But that was her legacy. That was her legacy. What's your legacy? What mark will you leave behind? Now, as I was walking out of the, the, the cemetery that day, I saw all the dashes, right? All the dashes. I was born in 79. Now you can do the math and figure out how old I am. But you think about the dash, right? How are you spending that time, that precious time that God has given you here on earth? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for others? Invest in others. Make a kingdom impact. Invest in things that will last forever. A Jesus-centered person is a people-focused person. A Jesus-centered person is a people-focused person. A Jesus-centered church is a people-focused church. My hope and prayer for this place is that we wouldn't just stop at coming to church and sitting in a row and singing some songs and hearing a great message, but that we would go out from here and love people and serve people. It's not about the four walls of this church. We don't just exist for 11 o'clock, a certain time at a certain place on a Sunday morning. We exist to go out into the world and love and serve and care for people. See, church is less about the meeting of people once a week and more about the moving of people every day of the week. 
What are you doing to give, to give the love of Christ to people? And I hope that as you walk through the doors on a Sunday morning that you'll have a handshake and a high five and, and eye contact from somebody. Somebody will give you a hug and you'll feel, you'll feel like you're part of the family here. This is a big church, but hope it feels personal. That's why we encourage you to get into small groups and sit in a circle with people who can, who can love you and care about you. You never know what life will bring. We need people around us to support us. Get in a small group, join a team. Life's all about community. John Marsh shared earlier, he's serving eighth grade boys. I mean, that's a high calling, right? But John has been faithful. Why? Because he's heavenly minded. He's doing a lot of earthly good. Just want to encourage you to think about one way this week that you can be more Jesus-centered. All right? Here's the challenge. We love challenges, right? What's one way you can be more Jesus-centered this week? Maybe it's spend a little bit more time in, in reading the Bible. Maybe it's a little bit more time praying. Maybe you need to listen to more worship music. Okay? One person you can focus on this week. Maybe a person who's, who's hurting. Maybe a person who's really having a difficult time. Maybe somebody who you've been too busy to, to pursue. Pursue that person, call them, take them out for coffee or lunch. Let them know that they are loved and cared for. Be Jesus-centered, people-focused. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your grace. Thank you that when we come to you, there's no shame, there's no more guilt. God, because you Forgive us. You love us. I know in a room this size, there are a lot of people who maybe don't have a relationship with you. Maybe there's doubts or fears. Maybe they grew up, maybe they grew up apart from you, Lord, but far from you. But for some reason, you brought them here today, God, and I pray that right here and right now, you give them the courage to, to step out and to receive you as their Lord and Savior. We want to love what you love. We want to care about what you care about, God. And we care about people here at Spring Branch. And if there's anybody in this moment who needs to, to receive the gift of eternal life, just pray. Just pray with me. If you're here in this room, pray this prayer with me. God, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. That you were more than just a good person. You were God in the flesh. God, I believe that you forgive me of my sins. Thank you, and I commit my life to you. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, if you believe it in your heart, you have crossed over from death to life. You are a new creation. You are a son and daughter of God. If you prayed that prayer, just, just raise your hand. Raise, raise it up high. Raise it up high. If you prayed that prayer this morning, raise your hand. Praise God. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anybody in this room who needs to recommit their lives to you, I pray they would do that in this moment. That you would be the center of their lives 
and they'd be focused on people, spreading your good news to those around them. Lord, I pray that you would take these gifts, pray you take these financial gifts as an offering to you. God, we wanna be a part of this mission to reach those who are far from you so they can have a hope and a joy, so they can progress in their faith. So God, take these gifts, these financial gifts, and use them for your glory and for others' good. And all God's people said, amen. The ushers are gonna come forward to receive the offering. Thank you ahead of time for, for your gift today.